Today we continue our sermon series in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul reminds Christians to let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 5, the key verse, uh, he urges believers to let this mind be you, which is also in Christ. We'll take a look at that. As we continue in the study of Jesus, our joy, how can we understand the mind of Christ and how will this understanding impact our Christian walk, our attitudes, our humility, and our service to Jesus Christ the King? I invite you to take out your Bibles, and then you should also have a handout from the uh, bulletin. We're going to be using those today, and we're going to do a little bit of uh, different roving mics. We're going to get you involved here a little bit, so uh, just to let you know that we're going to look at some verses together. So let's begin before opening God's Word with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we desire to commune with you, and we desire for our lives to be transformed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, please open our eyes so that we see what you want us to see. Soften our hearts so that we accept the word of the Lord. And transform our minds to yours today is our prayer. Amen. Let's begin uh, by reading the first part of our passage today. Turn with me, if you will, to... Uh, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Unity through humility is the title of this section of the beginning of chapter 2. Paul writes, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being in one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for, your, for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And I'd like to read it from the clear words. So we've had the King James, the New King James, and listen to the thought of what is coming through. Uh, Pray for God's message to reach you through the reading of the word. And this section is called, Be Like-Minded and Humble. Verse 1, if you gain courage from being united with Christ, if you receive comfort from his love, If you enjoy fellowship together through the Spirit, and if you possess tenderness and compassion, Paul writes, then make my joy complete by being more like-minded, loving each other more deeply, and being more closely united in purpose and in truth. Don't let selfishness and pride be your motive, and don't try to make a name for yourself among the churches. But in humility of mind, give more recognition and honor to others than to yourselves. Verse 4, don't become totally absorbed in your own spiritual growth, but take interest in other people and help them grow too. Great counsel for today's church. Great counsel for today's world. Well, let's look back at verse 1. 
What's the very first word there you see in verse 1 of chapter 2? Therefore, that's a transitional word. Paul uses that word a lot. And so he's got stated one thing and now he's coming to a conclusion. So he stated what he said in verse 1. And he's, and that, that word, therefore, is there for a reason. It invites us to look back. For the context of the message that is coming, in chapter 1, verse 27 to 30, last week, we saw that Paul was talking about the worthy life. He invites us to let our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What makes life worthy? How can we stand fast in one spirit and with one mind striving together? Paul passionately answers these questions in chapter 2. So he's transitioning with, well, here are some questions, now here are the answers. And he says in verses 1 and 2 is the beginning of that explanation. Here, it's as if Paul is saying, I have a single desire that your daily life should match the worth of the gospel. Without such a life, you will never hold your ground against the world, strong in what God has done for you unanimous working together for your common faith such steadfastness in Christ has great results it convicts the world and it convinces you it condemns the world it confirms the church paul urges his readers therefore make my joy fu- make my joy full by being of the same mind paul's main point that he continues here is unity in humility. Verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul refers to the unity of the church as being necessary to complete the task of sharing the gospel message. Notice in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul is elevating this need for unity to even a higher personal level. So with your uh, handout sheet, um, there's some references to this. Uh, unity, and you'll see that as the beginning of uh, the second paragraph, unity is not just a useful, um, a useful weapon against the world under Satan's influence. Rather, it belongs to the very essence of Christian life. Unity is the way which Christians display outwardly what the gospel means to them. So Paul personally calls it his joy. He's encouraging the Philippian congregation to complete my joy. How does this unity in the gospel become complete? The corporate message of unity in verses 1 and 2 now becomes a personal message beginning with the last part of chapter 2 through 4. So if you look at verses 2 through 4, notice the words like-minded, meaning being of one mind. This does not refer to our intellectual uniformity, meaning that we all have to think alike. That's not what he's saying. It doesn't refer to our a lack of diversity, meaning that we all have to be the same. That's not what God is saying here. This unity is defined by verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, we are encouraged to esteem others better. Better than who? Ourselves, right. In some ways, the message behind this verse is to treat others as if they were your superiors. And when I was studying this, I thought, I had a lot of those in the uh, workaday world. 
But um, it gave me a different light of how we deal with one another and how we have an opportunity to show Christ's example. So in verse 4, we're encouraged to look out not only for our own interests, but the interests of others. Does that remind you of any one person that walked on this earth? Jesus Christ. All right. He was more interested in others uh, than himself. Christ lived for others. He lived to serve others. If you look at your handout, you will see a triangle in the middle of the page. And you might say, Pastor, that's an upside down triangle. Well, that was on purpose. In the earlier verses we looked at last week, Paul reminds us that we as a church can stand fast united as we face the challenges of this world. Challenges of this world are at the base of the triangle, which is at the top. And this this represents the combined unity of each person in the church, holding close to their trust in God, supporting and strengthening one another. So, excuse me. So this unity begins at a personal level, and then it grows in community to uh, represent Christ as as a church. So, uh, and now notice the legs of the triangle. They don't splay outward like this on each side to provide stability of the base on top. No, they come to a point representing by the responsibility of the individual Christian. As Paul describes so eloquently in this letter, the true Christian's responsibility is not self-seeking or conceited. A true Christian is humble, willing to connect with God first to draw their strength from God and hope from Him. And then, <clears throat> then as true Christians, we can live uh, for others. Paul is inviting us to live as Christ lived. Let your actions speak the gospel. The next verses outline this opportunity so beautifully. Verses 6 through 11 are sometimes called the song of Christ. We'll look at those shortly. Before we move forward, a few questions. Thank you. Very much. (laughs) Should have brought that one up. Uh, Before we move forward few questions for each of us to think about, to ponder a few things. Uh, so as you look at the verse on the screen or in your, in your Bible, reading between the lines in verses 1 to 4, what do you think was wrong with the church in Philippi? Why is Paul writing this letter? What do you think uh, was happening? What was the main ch- uh, challenge? Do, do you see? I think I heard something. Tim? Trust? Strife? Oh, strife? (laughs) Okay. Um, So there's some problems that uh, Paul is addressing in the church in Philippi. There's strife. There's disunity, right? There's a lack of humility. So Paul's hitting those themes hard here. So uh, another question, what does it mean to consider someone better than yourself? Why does God ask us to do that? That's really a reversal of this sinful, self-focused world that we live in. Christ is revolutionary 
in, in, in the way that he asks us to think of others. <clears throat> what does it look like for you? What does it look like for me, for us, if we're united in Christ? Is this truly the worthy life that God has in mind for us? I believe it is. Let's continue with verse 5 to see what Paul suggests. Verse 5. Oh, I'm in Ephesians already. The, <laughs> the fan brought me back to the lesson today. Let's see. Uh, verse 5. Chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Short verse, but very deep in meaning. The New International Version translates the verse like this. Your attitude, and uh, I think we should be on the next slide now. So, yeah, let's flip the slide there. Okay, good. So, um, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then... uh, Some other versions, the uh, New International Version translates the verse this way. Your attitude should be the same of that, same of uh, Christ Jesus, as that of Christ Jesus. Other translations, paraphrases, share this perspective. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, mindset as Christ Jesus. You should think in the same way Christ Jesus does. The Amplified Bible, some of you looked at the Amplified Bible recently, it's interesting. It says, let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him, let Christ be your example in humility. That's a pretty tall order when you think about it. That's a tall order, but Paul is challenging us here as we uh, read this uh, letter challenging uh, the church in Philippi and each of us as believers here at Stone Tower today to think the way that Jesus thinks, to have the same mind, the same thoughts, the same attitudes as our Savior. Verses 6 to 8 gives us just what we need to address this challenge. Verses 6 to 8, let's take a look at that, chapter 2. And I'm going to start with verse 5 again. Since that's the beginning of his sentence. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in like in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. <clears throat> Verse 6, we're reminded that Jesus had the same nature as God before coming to this earth the first time. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is God. This is in contrast to Adam and Eve who were merely created in God's image and uh, who wanted divine power. And that was the temptation that the serpent did. You know, Not only you can be God, that's what the serpent wanted, right? In the form of Satan. So as we continue this song of Christ, let's focus on verse 7. Here we see that Christ gave up his equality with God the Father. He set 
aside his divine powers, but never ceasing to be, uh, never ceasing to be God. He took on the form of a bondservant. You know what a bondservant is? It's a lowly station in life. It's probably lower than servants, maybe even almost lower than the slaves. So he took on the form of a bondservant, a low station in life. Jesus took on the likeness of men. He also assumed the same nature as humans with the same ability to suffer as any human being suffers. Verse 8 We are reminded once again that Jesus humbled himself. He allowed himself to be humiliated. He became obedient. To what extent? To the death, to his death on the cross. Remember, this was voluntary. Jesus did not have to go through with this. Instead, he chose to. The person of Christ is the very core of our Christian beliefs. It's one of the, It's one of the foundational pillars of what we believe in. The nature of Christ is then foundational to our faith. It's one of the fundamental beliefs of our Adventist church. Each one of us needs to be able to explain in basic terms the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. You'll notice a chart displayed in your sermon handout this morning. And I invite you to... uh, Turn, uh, your Bible, uh, turn to your Bibles as we compare and contrast these two natures of, of our God, the Son, our Savior, and Redeemer. Fully divine, fully human without sin. So our initial understanding of the person of Christ is to know and believe that Jesus is fully divine, fully human, a sinless human. Okay? Did you catch the importance of this Christian principle? Our foundational belief must acknowledge that Jesus Christ is 100% divine, an equal member of the Godhead, and he was 100% human when he came to live on this earth, just as we are, yet without sin. That is the only way the price of sin is going to be paid on the cross. You and I can't save each other from our sins, right? We needed Jesus Christ to do that because of the person of who Jesus Christ is and was. So let's review uh, just a few verses, and um, I need a little help with some more roving mics. We'll uh, have, excuse me, we'll hear from you, which is a good thing because I'm losing my voice. (laughs) But uh, Brad, if you could help, and maybe someone over here, someone who likes to move and uh, get your aerobic steps in today. I appreciate that. Uh, We'll get going with that. Thank you, Lawrence. So, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to uh, review these verses on the screen and in your handout. And uh, I may ask you to read just a few more verses surrounding the key verse so we can hear the context. So let's begin by looking at verses showing that Jesus is fully divine. That's the left-hand side of the column. And let's begin with Isaiah 9, 6. And maybe we should have someone read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And uh, maybe if you can help me with names too. Any volunteers? You have six opportunities to volunteer. So if you miss this opportunity, there'll be another one. Okay. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All right. Well, thank you. What a promise that was. Old Testament prophecy, right? So what are some of the names in your handout of Jesus? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and uh, Prince of Peace. I love that verse. Okay, so that shows just a little piece of Jesus Christ fully divine. Let's go down to Hebrews 1 verse 8. Hebrews 1 verse 8. Can you wave to me if you have that? Are you waving? Okay, good. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thank you. But to the Son, who's speaking to the Son in this verse? God the Father. Okay, he says, Your throne, Jesus, O God, he refers to him as O God, is forever and ever. And the significance of the verse, God the Father is calling the Son Jesus, he's calling him God. He's fully divine, okay? John, let's uh, bounce uh, back to John 10, verses 28 to 30. Here's uh, Jesus talking about his sheep in these verses. Um, Do I have a volunteer? You're bashful today. Oh, I have... We have one up front here. We have one over here. Okay, go ahead. John 10, verses 28 to 30. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Did you catch that last phrase? I and my Father are one. Are one. Not only that, I I hear such a commitment on uh, Jesus, a good shepherd, to take care of us, right? He protects us in every way possible. So uh, uh, Jesus acknowledges that his Father's in heaven. He's the greatest of all. And then as you look at those verses, that no one, not even himself, can snatch God's followers from the Heavenly Father or from the Son. Love that promise. He says, I and the Father are one. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one, perfectly united, the triune God. Okay, let's go back uh, a little bit earlier in that gospel to John 1 verses 1 and 14 and some of you might be jumping ahead of me it's, uh, uh, Pastor Steve I think there's a typo there because that same verse is in both columns well no it isn't and I'll hope you, uh, hope you see the connection between 100% divine 100% human so John 1 verse 1 then verse 14 Tarlene in the beginning whoops. we had Colleen here <laughs> oh I'm sorry where am I Okay, over here. And then uh, I'll give you the next one. Okay, is that Colleen? Okay, John 1, 1, and then John 1, 14. Okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so um, that's verse 1, and then verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay. So that's, this is one of the many linking verses showing that Jesus, the Son of God, is divine and Jesus, the Son of Man, is human. So notice in your chart, they're both in both columns with different words emphasized. Verse 1, in the beginning was the what? Capital W, who's capital W? Okay, Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was what? God. So Jesus is God. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld as what? His divine glory. Right. So Jesus is 100% divine. Okay. And, uh, and let's see. And we beheld his glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, um, that's in the divine column. So Jesus is the word. The word is God. We beheld God's glory. Okay. Now let's look at the same verse in the right column, straight across, fully human column. So how does this verse emphasize the humanity of Jesus? Look at what it says. uh, Look at what belongs in the blanks on your handout. Jesus is a word and the word is God and the word became what? Flesh. Flesh. He's fully human. And what? Dwelt. He tabernacled among us. We beheld the glory of the Son of God full of what? Grace. Grace and truth. So... Here Jesus is uh, also demonstrated in the same verses as fully human. Full of grace and truth, he became flesh, he dwelt among us. So do you see the important link between the 100% divine, 100% human? Okay. Let's complete the uh, column at the right. Let's keep going. Let's start at the top of the column at the right. Matthew all right, Tarlene, are you ready for Matthew 1, 22 and 23? Okay. Okay, Matthew Matthew 1, 1 22, and 22 and 23. 22 and 23 says, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Okay, so a couple key things in the fully human side of things from those verses. Behold the the virgin. Okay, so this is a miraculous birth, right? Behold the virgin shall be with child. And who was that child? So, fully human. And uh, bear a son and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he came now from heavenly places to be born to grow up to live among us to tabernacle with us and so he's 100% human and uh, let's uh, take a look now at Hebrews 4 14 to 16 am I losing a a few oh I I see two volunteers I think is that um, Terry and somebody that's waving in the back. <laughs> somebody is, is ready to read. Okay. We got a couple more here, I think. So uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And uh, who is reading? Bruce Patricia. Oh, Patricia. Okay. 
Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right. Amen. This is, this is kind of a key verse in uh, knowing the character of God, knowing who the person of Christ is. Um, here Jesus, the Son of God, is Jesus our high priest, right? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, right? So our high priest knows us and all of our weaknesses. He can re- represent us. But was in how many points? All points tempted as we are, yet without what? Sin. This verse is reminding us that Jesus is more than qualified to represent us, each one of us. He knows what it's like to be human. He, he was 100% human. He can relate to us as humans in all of our weaknesses. He was tempted in all ways as we are tempted. There is not one temptation that we have experienced that he has not faced plus a lot more that we may have may never face, right? According to the verse, the significant difference between us and Jesus is what's the difference between us and Jesus? Without sin. Yeah. How many are feeling hundred percent human today? <laughs> well that's a few hands. Some of you are at about a fifty percent maybe, but we're hundred percent human and how many feel that we're sinners in need of a savior? We are, are 100% human, or thereabouts, and we're uh, sinners in need of a Savior. That's why Jesus fills the bill for us, is because he is just like us, but without sin. So, Philippians uh, 2, verses 5 and 8, it's our key verse, and I think there was, is that Jay or Terry or somebody in the back? Somebody wave their hand. If we could have uh, that last verse, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. We're back to our uh, Philippians letter. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who was being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Okay, thank you, Jay. Uh, That verse 7 says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of, and we mentioned that already, taking the form of a bondservant, okay, and and coming in the likeness of what? Men, of humankind. I'm going to divert you all, if you have a moment, to flip over to Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. Don't lose your place in uh, Philippians. We'll go back there for our last scripture reading. But Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. It was Jesus asked his disciples, maybe you remember this as part of his ministry. Jesus said, probably more than once, who do they, who who does the people, who do the people say that I am? Well, let's take a moment to look at these verses to hear his answer. 
verse verse 13 of Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is the letter that Paul is writing to the church there, he asked his disciples saying, who do men and women, who do uh, men say that I, the son of man, am? So there he gave the answer already. He's, He's the son of man, capital S, son of man. Um, but he's, he's asking the question. So they, the disciples, said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them again, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, I'm guessing that Simon Peter spoke up often and usually first, but he said, answered, he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Was Peter right? Yes. That was an answer, I believe, that God, the Spirit of the Lord gave Peter. That was certainly the right answer. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter got the right answer from the Father in heaven. Verse 18, and I also, Jesus said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, that, um, just a side comment there, those verses have been misinterpreted. In uh, some um, uh, some churches and some uh, circles of uh, Christians, saying that uh, the church is going to be built on Peter. Peter is now the head of the church. No, what is Jesus saying here? What is going to be built? What what is the foundation of the of the church today? The truth of what he said. When he said, uh, who do you say that I am? And uh, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Let's see, how do I... The fan keeps blowing my... How's the, how did he answer that? <laughs> you tell me. What did, uh, you just, uh, what did we just hear from uh, Peter? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Okay. And that is what is... That is the foundation of what the Christian church in the world is uh, built upon. It's built upon Christ. And knowing that he is God and he is Savior and Redeemer and every other thing that he offers to us, that's the foundation of our church. So, um, let's take a look at, uh, let's continue here. Let's go back to Philippians. Lucky I have my sticky notes here so I can catch up with where I'm at. Uh, Let's ask a few questions. What do you think it is like for Jesus to leave heaven and become human? Picture that for a minute. He came down fully human to be with us. What what was that like? That was a huge sacrifice. That was a huge choice. And that choice was made before the foundation of the world, before sin even entered the world. There was the plan, okay? And... uh, uh, what do you think it was like for Jesus to take on himself all the sin of humankind? I struggle with my own sin. One person. 
Jesus has all of our sins laid upon him, and that's what he took to the cross. A thought, love finds its most notable expression in freely sacrificing oneself for the one loved. Here, Jesus' love for the Father becomes a, mo- became, becomes a model of, for how believers should love one another. How should we love another? As God has loved us, right? Well, how should we respond? Let's turn our attention to the last section of our scriptures uh, today, and that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. These verses make up the responses to the previous verses we looked at, showing the divine and human personhood of Jesus. So uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 9. Therefore, there's that other therefore again. Paul's reaching a conclusion. Uh, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given Jesus the name which is above every name, that is, that, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 9 points out that God the the Heavenly Father has highly exalted the Son, given him the name of Jesus. He has also given Jesus the name of Lord. Notice in verse 10, there's a lot of bowing down going on here. There's deep respect and total reverence to Jesus. The little word all covers quite a bit. So who are are those under the earth that are acknowledging the position of Jesus? Who are they? Who's under the earth acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord? They don't want to acknowledge him, but but they are. Who is that? The evil spirits, the demons. Do you know why Jesus was able to cast out the demons? Because uh, God the Father gave him the power and the demons could not be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Because he was uh, uh, son of God. He was God himself. Okay, so those are uh, the ones under the earth. Um, All will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. And then verse 11 It is as if Paul didn't think we caught the message in verse 10. So he emphasizes it again, that every tongue, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. All praise, all glory goes to his name. This is the expression of the proof of the honor rightly bestowed upon Jesus. So let's review what we've learned today. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing that we need to be united, unified, In one body, in one spirit, and in one truth. Jesus, our joy, can be ours if we submit to him and humbly seek his presence in our lives. Only then are we able to deny ourselves and our needs in order to humbly serve others, just as Jesus has done. Paul urges every believer, each of us today, to have the same mind, same mind, same attitude as Jesus did. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we must follow his example of humble, selfless service, putting others before ourselves. This truly will be the joy, the joy of knowing Jesus and following him. A couple uh, questions at the bottom of your handout, and we won't answer them uh, in, this, in our sermon time today, but take that, those questions with you. What does it mean 
for you personally? What does it mean for me personally to follow this counsel? To let your mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do we see that unfolding in our lives? How do we maintain that connection from day to day in our spiritual walk? Desire of Ages, chapter 1, titled, God with us, Emmanuel. Page 22 and 23, Ellen White contrasts the character of Lucifer with the character of Christ regarding the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption. Listen how she shares this contrast. Lucifer had said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. He might as well have said, I I want to be the Most High. But Christ, being in the form of God, counted it not a thing to be grasped, to be on an equality with God, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. This was a voluntary sacrifice. Jesus might have remained... Jesus could have remained uh, at his father's side. He did not have to come to this earth, but he chose to. He might have retained the glory of heaven and the homage of the angels, but he chose to give back the scepter into the father's hand and to step down from the throne of the universe that he might bring light to those in darkness and life to those perishing. Jesus, our joy. Praise the Lord today that the exalted Jesus chose to become the humbled Christ, perfect and obedient even to the death on the cross. Why did he do that? I think John 3.16 explains it best. Because God loves us. So great was his love for the world that the Father promised to give his one and only Son that whosoever, help me out, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, our joy, what a blessing he is. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that we may experience the mind of Christ. We ask for the gift of humility to show us how to be selfless servants following your example. Lord, empower us to think and walk as Jesus walked this coming week. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. We're thankful for the opportunity to walk in your way. In Christ's name, amen.